Um, the title for tonight actually comes from Catherine's final monologue in The Taming of the Shrew, where she infamously exhorts women to be completely subject to the will of their husbands and describes a woman who dares do otherwise as being like a fountain troubled, muddy, ill-seeming, thick, bereft of beauty and until, well, while it is so, none so dry or thirsty will deign to sip one drop of it. This is from the same Shakespeare who gave us Beatrice and accused men of being deceivers ever, so I, I don't know what's going on there, but anyway. Um, <laughs> So most of you have probably picked up on the fact, or maybe haven't, that I am speaking on that Ephesians passage. And I know that we have probably all heard this passage done to death ad nauseum. I once heard it spoken on twice in about three months. And I would like to start tonight, as I have had to sit through by saying for those of you who may be here tonight, who are in some sort of um, significant romantic relationship, don't worry, I'm sure there's something in this for you as well. Uh, or you know what, sometime in the future, your relationship will inevitably end because of death or breakup, and so this will be useful then. I'm not bitter, I'm not bitter. <laughs> I've never heard the inverse of that and become incredibly bitter. Anyway, so I have this friend her name is Jenny and she's this great virago of a woman and her favourite, or one of her favourite Bible verses is Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21. She has it inscribed on a wedding ring, actually, along with the Japanese word for love. And uh, the reason it's one of her favourite Bible verses is because it's often left out of these kinds of discussions. These discussions start in verse 22 and end at verse 33. Um, and the reason she loves it is because if you include it in your discussion of this verse, the whole meaning completely changes. Um, the whole implication of what follows is not the dominant interpretation. Uh, so, where are we? Cool. So, Ephesians 5.21 is in the Amplified because... I'm a huge linguist nerd. Um, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ, the, um, the Messiah, the anointed one. And that's more like a topic sentence for what follows. So I'm going to be looking past the subject headings and the chapter markers and the verse markers because, of course, Paul didn't write his letter with those in. That would be madness. Uh, but he was writing to the church in Ephesus about certain things, and this is coming off a discussion of what it means to be the church and, and how we should behave. So it's lovely and great. So as we know, um, verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 5 is, is great. I, as a woman, love this verse so much. Uh, and it's wives you know, submit to your husbands as service to the Lord and has been used to justify everything from domestic violence to complementarianism rather than gender equality. And it's the worst. If you hold to the dominant interpretation of this passage, which I don't. So moving swiftly on, the church in Ephesus, when they're hearing this letter, is probably thinking, yeah, yeah good one, Paul. That's a... Uh, 
hard-hitting stuff. I'm going to have to think about this thing that is definitely not a cultural norm at all. Hey, Antonius, do you think he's a bit of a moron? Like, he's pointing at the obvious. Um, then Paul, exactly, because why not? <laughs> so then Paul, much like John English in every SG production of anything, says, I haven't finished yet, and takes a theological bazooka to this idea and just blows it up. It's great. It's wonderful. Because he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. And that, that was pretty revolutionary. I mean, what do, you, what, what do you mean my wife isn't an extension of me and everything that I want her to do? I don't understand. Which is why he spends nine verses telling men how they should treat their wives as opposed to th the three verses he spends telling women how they should treat their husbands. And he, he does go on to talk about, um, you know, treat your wife as, a, as you would your own self. And you can see that as, oh, yes, so he is saying women are an extension of their husbands, literally. Or you could think of it as, well, most people with a well mind don't think they're not worthy of respect of personhood. So why not give your wife the same respect? And I think that is possibly what he's going for. But we're moving on because, once again, I don't think the point that Paul was trying to make ends when chapter 5 does. So in chapter 6, we open with, children, obey your fathers because this is right and just. And yes, once again, Ephesus is saying, we know, Paul, what are you doing? And, well, what he's doing is saying, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. The point of what he was saying was not children should obey their parents. The point of what he was saying was parents, maybe treat your children like they're treasured. Maybe treat your children like they're more than an extension of you and a reflection of you when they go out into the world. Like, maybe, maybe they're precious. Maybe you should give up what you want for the good of your children which I think most of us would agree with. And then the next section I believe is something people have used to justify slavery, which is slaves obey your masters. Well, there were slaves in the early church. They came in through various means, but they were there. And that's fine. So what do you, what's a Christian slave to do? Well, obey your master. But the point of that was not that slaves should obey their masters. The point of that was the uh, earth-shattering notion that masters should not mistreat their slaves. And that's strangely revolutionary at the time, um, in that pre-Wilberforce era. And I like to think that Paul was playing the slow game of, well, look, if they start treating their slaves with you know, human respect and dignity, they're going to start thinking, you know what, maybe it's a bad idea for me to own another human. So I think he was playing the slow game. Um, don't disagree with me, otherwise, because I'm right, you promised. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, so if we're looking at this um, in that kind of context, and if we're looking at submission as being more than one person being dominated by another person, uh, what does that mean? Well. What I think is that it's a very active
active and deliberate version of submission that Paul is talking about. So it is not place your hands below your husband's foot in token of which duty, if he please, my hand is ready, may it do him ease. No, I don't think that's what he was saying. I think what he was saying was that submission is self-denial and self-sacrifice. And I think that those are two principles which in the modern world we would agree should be present in a marriage or in a parent-child relationship or in a master-slave? No, okay. So that one doesn't hold up in the modern time, but well, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> there are some Slavery still exists, but we don't have personal slaves, most of us today in Australia. There are slaveries, and I hate it, and that's a whole other argument. Um, anyway, so really, what this comes down to or it could be said to come down to is actually an elaboration on what Jesus was talking about in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And you know the verse, even if you don't know the reference. Um, if anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he must deny himself, set aside selfish interests, take up his cross, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example of living, and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. That is the kind of submission I think Paul was really talking about, not who's dominating who.